We're grateful that you're here with us again, and we look forward to studying God's Word. Appreciate your attendance and uh, your attention this afternoon as we study together. We keep joking a lot of us together about how hard it is, difficult when we uh, fill our stomachs and are full after lunch, but hopefully we can encourage ourselves with just a few moments of study this afternoon. And we are going to take just a real brief look at the word proclaim. If you have your outline or a bulletin in front of you, I try to give you again a, a short outline that didn't require everything and uh, we give Travis a hard time, but as Brian said this morning, we're very thankful Travis has done a lot of work, as a lot of our deacons do, and a lot of folks do around here, of course, but Travis has done a lot of work lately, in particular with the folks who we've uh, tried to buy the projectors from and got some and things didn't work and going back and forth, and I came here about uh, one o'clock yesterday, and uh, Travis was here and, and Brian and had all the doors open. We're back here working, trying to set up some new platforms. They're doing lots of work and trying to get it all ready, and we just hope that it all comes together soon. But I wanted to give you a, a little bit of an outline. Sometimes that helps you keep up or maybe uh, gives you a little more information or writing it down maybe helps your memory just a little bit. But we're going to take a look at the word proclaim. If you recall, we've been doing this now for, I guess, over four years that we've been with you here, uh, taking a what was supposed to be a weekly study, but rather than being tied into a whole year of just looking at words, kind of doing one a month. And we've talked a lot about a lot of different things I think the last, this last section has been about God's kingdom, and we've talked about several words, and this last one has to do with the idea of proclaiming. And in the Old Testament, I didn't give you all the words because they're a little, you know, it's a little cumbersome sometimes when we get into that, but in the Old Testament, there are three words that deal with this idea of proclaim. Uh, it really deals a lot with the prophets. It's what the prophets were doing. They were proclaiming. Uh, they were calling upon or crying out to God for help doing that on behalf of the people, or especially on behalf of God to the people. But they were proclaiming. In the New Testament, there's one particular word, and it doesn't, of course, like a lot of these Greek words, doesn't look like how it sounds or sound how it looks or whatever you want to say. And also, I'll spell it for you. The Greek word is K-E-R. So again, that's K-E-R, then U-S-S-O. U-S-S-O. So it's actually pronounced K-R-U-S-O, is the Greek term that it's used, and right below that in your outline, it's defined in this way mainly to herald, herald, almost like a public crier. You know, we don't have that much anymore. We're so spread out. We have large cities. There's Even though it's always, I don't know if you're like us, it's always fun sometimes to hit one of those small towns as you're traveling that has the town square and, and maybe the courthouse. So we're familiar with the idea, even if we spread out so much now that it's maybe not as similar as it used to be, having this, this public crier, right, who might go around and, and tell the news or, of course, at a certain time, tell what the king has to say maybe about a particular matter. But to herald is this term, Caruso, and it's really, uh, especially in regards to divine truth. And maybe even you'll see it used in the New Testament. In fact, if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, first of all. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 is this word, in those days John the Baptist, John the baptizer, came Caruso, or preaching, your Bible may say, excuse me, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew 3, 1. I don't even have to change a page in my Bible, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, and we see that then Jesus, from that time, Jesus began to Caruso. He began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the word that is used here. We're fixing to get to the number of times there in your outline. 
But that's kind of this idea of heralding or preaching, proclaiming, or even publishing. There are various uses. Uh, various uses are to be a herald or to officiate as a herald, to proclaim after the manner of a herald. And so all these ideas of, of being a person, maybe who gets up in front of people and, and proclaims or preaches this message. It's interesting because, you know, there are lots of debates sometimes about the role and responsibility of a preacher. I hope, obviously, to take this lesson, and it's not about me or just a preacher, it's about how we all proclaim, but is it not? Often the case, when it comes to congregations, whether there are elders, whether it's just men, and it's a men's business meeting kind of setting, but there are often discussions what the preacher's job is. And there are various passages, we won't take the time to look at all of them, but there are various passages that point out some things that preachers are to be doing. But really the primary role, of course, the responsibility that sets the preacher apart is that he is to proclaim or to herald or to foretell, if you will, in a public manner, the message of Christ. And every specific task of the preacher is to sort of be seen in light of this responsibility. You know, I understand uh, in congregations of this size, such as this, around 100, maybe less than 100, 150. Sometimes there's a secretary, such as we are blessed with here, is having faith that's able to take care of a lot of the things, kind of maybe day-to-day -day things or uh, information and that kind of thing. But a lot of times preachers do get caught up in, in some of these other things, maybe, uh, helping share information. None of that's wrong. Uh, you know, doing a call, sending out an email, visiting people, none of that's wrong. It's good things that preachers should be doing as well. But in the Bible, as we think about what's, what the preacher's job is, it carries with it this idea of proclaiming. Now, the next thing in line there, maybe in your outline, is the idea of the number of times it is used. And so there's two numbers going to be there at the beginning of your, your list. 71 of the 72 times. 71 of the 72 times this word is used in your New Testament, it is referring to Christ and his message. I can't remember exactly now as I had it written out there, but it's proclaiming with Christ and the message and his message being proclaimed or the message, his message, the gospel being proclaimed. If you have your Bible, let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 5. 71 of the 72 times it refers to Christ proclaiming or his message being pro proclaimed. And 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. You know, I made mention very briefly at the end of my lesson this morning, I, I think, that we were talking, kind of re referencing just vaguely to the, today being September 11th and that kind of thing. I was thinking about that even earlier this morning or the last couple of days. And it's easy to say, well, you know what? We, we just don't get caught up in world events. We don't get caught up in politics or history or, or those kinds of things. But I can't say that because there are times that we use maybe events that take place in our culture, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's a Supreme Court decision or things like that. Maybe they help us to then share what the Bible has to say about something. But it is also true, though, as, as a preacher, that our message should be, and even as Christians, our message should not be ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And then notice, I love how Paul says it there, verse 5, ourselves, yes, but ourselves only as bondservants for Christ's sake. Because that is the direct order that it should be, that things should be. So, 
even in the rare event that the word proclaim in the Bible refers to another proclaimer, it is always in the context of that person proclaiming Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19. Again, Paul says, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, to share the good news. As I said this morning, I think in the lesson, I do try to pay attention to what the titles of our lessons are, what the subject matter is. Is it Old Testament? Is it New Testament? Is it current events? Is it topical? Is it mainly just scriptural as far as verses go? Looking at maybe one particular text, textual we sometimes say. That's, that's all well and good, that's fine, but we need to make known the gospel. Some people say, well, just give me Jesus, don't give me anything else. Well, yes, we need to preach Jesus, but we need to be preaching the gospel. And so even here, as it's talking about Paul proclaiming, he's still proclaiming the message of Christ. Now, there is one instance that it does not refer to Christ or his gospel that this word is used. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4. Going back actually to beginning that context in verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition or destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So the one time that this word proclaim is used and that it does not refer to Christ or his gospel, it's used here to refer to the man of lawlessness or perdition or destruction who's proclaiming himself to be God. Now, sometimes I use names, you know, not, certainly, not necessarily on purpose, but probably you are aware if you turn on your television or watch on the Internet or anything, there's a whole host of so-called preachers who would love to present themselves as the one who gets all the attention, as the one who is doing all the work, as the one who has all the power or who needs all the attention in these things. But we see here in New Testament writings, whether it's Paul or whomever it may be, they're always pointing towards Christ. That is exactly what they are proclaiming. You know, when we think about how this word should be encouraging to us, how it should be something that we are thinking about. It's something that we need to continue to consider in our lives, how we are living and what we are sharing. In Mark chapter 7, look at Mark chapter 7 and verse number 36, I want to, to try, try to drive home and share with you the, this afternoon through the last few minutes here this idea that we need to be paying attention to what we proclaim. And how that is a part of our lives. Because it is, it's easy to say, that's the preacher's job. He's the one who proclaims. I'm sort of absolved of any responsibility. In Mark chapter 7, specifically verse 36, but you go back through this whole section in context, verse 31 through 37, there is this deaf person who was brought to him, who had an impediment in his speech, verse 32. They begged Jesus to put his hand on him. He took him aside from the multitude, put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. And, of course, he says famously doing that, be open. And immediately his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. Now, verse 36 comes in because if we're not 
good Bible students, we often scratch our head at these kinds of verses, right? Verse 36, then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they, Caruso, they proclaimed it. We scratch our head and we say, well, why would Jesus tell people not to share the good news? And there's a deeper study there, if we had time to go into it in a deeper way, about why Jesus might be saying, now's not the time. You know, now's not the time. Maybe this is not the exact place to share these things. And so sometimes he would say very plainly to people, do not tell anyone what has been done, what I've done for you. But yet here we get the idea that they could not help. And here's a word from this morning in our lesson, right? Zealously. They could not help zealously proclaiming what has happened. You see, the proclamation of Christ is a natural result of a positive encounter with him. Why would you not share the good news? Why would you not share what has been done for you? I tried in my mind sometimes to think about what it must have been like to have seen him, to been around him, we imagine, we, we're told stories, I guess I should say, not even imagine, but we're told stories of where people are trying every which way to get to him. Whether it's being let down through the roof, whether it's almost sneaking through the crowd and trying to touch the hem of his garment. Why would you not think about what it would take to, to go and to see him and be helped and then share that with others? Uh, Hannah's talked before uh, about her dad a lot and the work that, that he went through and, and has gone through for his back and the pain that he has faced over the many years. Many of you are aware of that. But as we were talking even today for a minute about the different hospitals and places you would go, if you knew of someone who could help somebody who had cancer or had some kind of disease, why would you not share that good news? And so even when Jesus says this, they find themselves, and I love the way verse 36 says it there, Mark records for us, the more he said it, the more widely they proclaimed it. It's just the natural outpouring of a happy life, a positive encounter with him. We do not have the same encounters today. We're not able to walk up to him and be healed in the same way. But when we see or we hear or we learn of Christ and his mercy, his grace and his forgiveness, his ability to make all things new, we should not be able to keep quiet about it. Do you remember in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 20, we referenced Acts 4 this morning when Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. We reference verse 12 where they say there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But in verse 20, they forbid them, or they do forbid them. Then in verse 20, they respond, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It's the good news. You know what's interesting? And if you have your Bible, be turned over to Mark, Mark 16. I know you know this passage, but Mark 16, 15 and 16. I was reading some of the thoughts, some of the devotional thoughts that went along with this particular message, with this particular study, and one of the writers said, there is nothing that strikes fear and dread in the heart of a Christian like the word evangelism, right? If we're just being honest, for many of us, there is nothing that strikes fear in the heart of a Christian than that word evangelism. I'm going to be honest with you. I have struggled sometimes about putting that kind of lesson together, knowing the best way to present that for, to encourage ourselves, because we sometimes struggle with that. 
And, and I've been there as well. There, there is nothing sometimes that makes a person their knees knock more than to talk about door knocking, right? A door knocking campaign or going out and setting up a table or going out and visiting people. And I know, I, I got it. I understand it's 2022 of the world's a lot different place. Door knocking is a lot scarier. Maybe people are a lot more afraid. Things are kind of different in that way. But isn't it interesting that there is nothing that strikes a bigger, you know, sort of dread in, in our, the pits of our stomach or our hearts to think about evangelism when instead evangelism is simply sharing the good news. In Mark 16 and verse 15 and 16, as you know this, Jesus says to them, go into all the world and preach, that's our word, keruso, preach the gospel. The word there is euangelion which is gospel, which carries the idea of a bringer of good news. So isn't it funny, isn't it kind of interesting that something that creates such dread in our hearts should be the best thing as we have good news to share? We, we're not someone who's walking up to the door as a state trooper or a cop or someone that has to deliver bad news of an accident or a death. We're knocking to share the good news, to be the bringer of good news. We love good news, don't we? I mean, have you ever gotten good news at the doctor? I know we oftentimes harp on the bad news, but have you ever been in that situation? Maybe, again, one of the writers shared this idea where he had been, you know, he had some kind of, you know, sickness going on, not feeling real good. So, of course, he, was, he self-prescribed himself, you know. He, he went and Googled everything that might be wrong, all the symptoms, you know, became a Google doctor and, and, and all these things. And then he went to the doctor, and the doctor says, I've got good news. There's nothing wrong with you, you know. And it's like, we love to hear good things like that. And yet we've got the very best news to proclaim, but it often strikes the biggest amount of fear in our lives. And, and I'll, I'll say it, you know, I've been there. I still have that feeling sometimes. Preachers can be very outgoing. We can also, some preachers are very outgoing when it comes to public speaking, but very introverted when it comes to things like that. It's uncomfortable. It's not always easy, but we've got the best news in all the world. Now, as we've talked about on Wednesday night, if you've been in our auditorium class, the idea of the preacher or, or the Church of Christ, excuse me, the Church of Christ, believing that they're the only ones getting to heaven, that kind of thing that's said sometimes, there's no doubt that that good news also brings about with it this inclusive, exclusive nature. We, we've discussed that recently, right? It's great news. You can have salvation, but you maybe have to give up the things of the world. You maybe have to give up your pet sin or whatever it might be, the things that you struggle with. So it's really, really hard, but we've got the best news in all the world. In fact, no matter what account of the, God, of the Great Commission that you look at, whether it's Luke or Mark or Matthew, all, all of these accounts carry with it the word proclaim. So we can sit and talk about the preacher. We can say it's the preacher's job. But as Christians, we are all to be about proclaiming, proclaiming the truth. A couple of other passages here, and we'll be done. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 8. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 8. Now, depending on the version, I'm going to think, I'm going to say, I think it's the English standard for sure that has the word proclaim here. If you have something else, you may not see it. But Paul tells the church at Rome, Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. The New King James says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul tells the church at Rome that he thanks God for them because their faith is proclaimed. Is that what he would say about the church at Saudi? 
Is that what he would say about the church of Christ at large or in Chattanooga, the state of Tennessee, whatever it might be, the United States, that we are people who proclaim, that we are heard about, that we are talked about, that we can walk through the community or somewhere and they say, oh, you are that, the Saudi church, right? I, I've heard about them. I know about them. They're, they're out doing these good works that we talked about this morning. And I know, as well as you do, that the last couple of years have really taken a toll on our evangelism and the things that we've done, if we're just being honest. been harder to get out. We went through the period of quarantine and things like that. But we have to get back to being people who are proclaimers, not just the preacher. The preacher needs to be involved, but all of us, that people can say, I know you, I know of you, or at least where you worship, where you assemble to meet, and it's proclaimed about. When Paul would say that, you know, we talk sometimes about things that would be on our tombstone, things that would be said. There, there's no bigger compliment, I think, in some ways than for Paul when he would write to say, when I'm traveling around, people are talking about you. When I go here and there, they're talking about what you are doing that is good. Now, there are times he would say, I hear about maybe your church fuss or the squabble that's going on among people. But a lot of times he would say about the good things and how encouraging that is. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Paul describes those who preach Christ from envy in this passage and rivalry and others who preach Christ from goodwill. Do you remember here that he says, as he's in prison, one of the prison epistles here, he's writing from prison, and again he's saying, I hear these things. I hear about you. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to make it harder for me, he says. I'm in chains and they're making it harder on me. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He states that he rejoices when Christ is proclaimed. Christ must be the center of the message, our message. And if you have your outline in front of you there, he is, Jesus is the proclaimed. He's the proclaimed. That's what he should be. This is so clear that Paul says even when preached with the wrong motive, if the message is true, he will rejoice. Now note here, make a note, this is not a false gospel or a false teaching. That wouldn't bring about rejoicing in Paul. But the measure of a sermon sometimes should be and I've heard preachers say this, I've heard this kind of in other writings, but that sometimes for a preacher, when you're trying to kind of self-assess, well, how am I doing? You know, what's going on? How's it working? How are things, you know, how, how am I doing in my sermon? Are the topics good or what we're studying good? And I've heard this said, the measure of a sermon maybe should be, how long is it in your lesson before Christ shows up in the message? Now, as I've said, whether it be a lesson on abortion or whether it be a lesson on other things that we need to hear, that's fine. And those lessons can be good and encouraging. But how long is it in the lesson before Christ shows up? The time, that can be important. It might be beneficial, good or bad to us. Other things that might make a sermon interesting to us, 
may be fine and well. We, we're concerned about those things, the presentation. But how long is it before Christ is a part of that message? You know, a few moments ago we sang a song. I asked Charles to lead the song Redeemed. The songwriter in that, if you've ever noticed, we, if you're like me, we don't always pay attention to the songwriters, but the, the songwriter for that song was a very prolific songwriter by the name of Fanny J. Crosby. You may have heard that name before. This song was first published in 1882, and if you look in the back of the book, you don't have to now, certainly, but in the back of the book, it will list the writers, the songwriters. Next to Fanny J. Crosby's name, in our book at least, there are 30 songs that are attributed to being written. And so 30 songs, prolific songwriter wrote those words, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. That's the question. That's the question that I'd kind of like to leave you with through this lesson. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. There can be no doubt that for us to proclaim to effectively proclaim in the news of Jesus Christ, we must not only know in our minds we have obeyed his will, but we must also feel the truth that we imbibe. And this song illustrates that. It is just a part of who we are. So the question is simply, what are you proclaiming? What are you proclaiming? Because you're proclaiming something. You're proclaiming something. And sometimes we give lots of attention to proclaiming lots of other things. I've already spoken with several of you this morning in a joking way about all the football that took place yesterday or the football maybe that you were a part of if you went to game on Friday night, your high school or whatever it might be. Uh, again, I, I'm joking, being a little facetious, but we often spend lots of time and money proclaiming our favorite team or proclaiming about who we support, or going and doing those things. But yet, Sunday morning, well, that's kind of an afterthought. Or Monday, as we lead into the week, the work week, and we think about what we're proclaiming, what is it? What gets our time and attention? We must feel that truth. We must feel that we are redeemed, and be able to, be willing to proclaim it. said it many times before, but we get caught up sometimes in preaching and proclaiming being the preacher's job. The preacher's the one that can memorize the plan of salvation. The preacher is the one that can, can take all these verses and point these things out. All of us who are Christians have been redeemed. We've been bought back. We've been sanctified. We've been justified by the blood of Christ. What is it that you need to proclaim? That's it. Folks, that's it. We can get into the other things that a person needs to know. We can get into worship, church organization, faithful living, avoiding certain sins. We can talk about instrumental music. I mean, all those things we can get caught up in. And we need to share what the Bible has to say. But very simply, it's the message of being redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Is that what you're proclaiming? We're about to conclude this lesson here, and we'll sing a song of invitation, a song of encouragement, that if you're not living that way, that you would make a change. Maybe you're here and you're not a child of God. You can't even sing that song, Redeemed, Child, Love to Proclaim It. We'd love to study with you. We'd love to assist you if you'd like to become a child of God today. Or maybe, as most of you are, you're a, you're a Christian. You're a child of God. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you've been weak in faith. Maybe you just realize that you've not been proclaiming the good news. You've not been a bringer of good news to people. Maybe you want to come forward and make that known in a public way. Maybe you like the prayers of the church. But you don't have to leave beginning this week beginning this work week with the heaviness of sorrow or of sin on your mind, you can, as we say, get right with God. 
you can have a right relationship with him and go forth beginning right this moment proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. But of course, that takes the right relationship. And whether you need to become a Christian or come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.